Hello and welcome to another edition of Resistance TV. I'm going to be speaking to Phil Bevan this evening about what's happened to foreign policy dissent on the left. Uh, Phil wrote an article a few days ago about what he described as the end of foreign policy dissent by the UK's libertarian left. Phil is a researcher and a writer, and he's also a socialist activist and a member of the Workers' Party. In a previous life, he worked for Jeremy Corbyn in the leader's office. So uh, uh, good evening, Phil. Welcome back to the show. Evening, Chris. Nice to speak to you as always. And um, in- just before I begin, I would like to say thank you for um, allowing me to have a platform tonight because uh, <laughs> I've had quite a lot of pushback from what I wrote. Um, so it's really yeah. nice. You're, um, you're, you're showing a bit of solidarity. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. No, no, it's, a, it's a, not a problem at all. And uh, obviously we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. I mean, just tell us about this article then. I mean, it prompted quite an angry reaction from the canary, didn't it? So just, just sort of give us the, the kind of, you know, the, the basis of, of the article and, and you know, what, yeah. what you think has caused all this uh, pushback from certain quarters. Well, the article, the reason I wrote it really was because some, some people on Twitter who I kind of talk to and share stuff with had just raised the issue of um, the canaries foreign policy coverage on, a, on numerous issues, particularly they had concerns um, about his coverage of uh, Imran Khan, which has really been quite quit- critical um, and yeah. also hasn't mentioned, and this is what I pointed out, pointed out in the article, hasn't mentioned um, the potential US involvement in the coup. So, um, so I looked into it basically. Um, and while I was looking into that, I also spotted that the Canaries coverage of the Turkish elections was pretty much identical to Progressive International. And the previous week I'd written an article about that. Um, and I discovered a link between Progressive International and this organization, well, I don't know what you'd call it really, this kind of tendency, it's called Plan C, um, which had sent some of its activists, some of its members had gone over to northern Syria um, to assist mm-hmm. the uh, SDF, the the Kurdish uh, militias up there, who are um, who are helping the US with their illegal o- occupation and oil extraction of northeast Syria. Um, and it turns out that some of the authors, at least on the the, the issue of the um, Turkish elections, who uh, who who wrote for the Canary. Um, are affiliated and linked to this Plan C organization. Um, and Plan C also has, it turns out, um, some of their people or some of the people associated with them have also been, um, they've, they've been interviewing uh, on a podcast. They did an interview with someone from Bellingcat. And if you know about Bellingcat, it's supposedly this kind of open source intelligence platform, um, but it has been linked also to the British intelligence services. So you've got on the British left, and actually there are Plan C people linked to Navarra Media too, so it's not just um, it's not just the Canary. Um, and in fact, uh, the people who did the, uh, the podcast with Bellingcat um, have actually written for Navarra Media. So you've got some very dubious um, foreign policy uh, links um, going on there. Um, and it, their positions are starting to align with those of the British state, and it's very concerning. And this is basically what my article was about, was pointing out that um, um, that the coverage of Imran Khan was uh, 
very one-sided. Um, and then also so was the coverage of the Turkish elections over the um, the parties. They were very positive about the parties that are friendly with the um, SDF forces in northern Syria. And that was basically the the point of my article. I was just um, pointing that out. And I, uh, I gave uh, the Canary plenty of opportunity to comment beforehand. And they even got back to me and they said um, that they have no comment. And then the following day, uh, I got loads of abuse on, on Twitter about it. Why, why, why do you think there's been such a strong reaction from the Canary then, Phil? Honestly, my own, my own I, I can't see inside their heads, um, obviously. I have to interpret it myself. But I, what they haven't actually been able to do, as far as I can tell, is refute my argument, which is that their um, discussion of foreign policy is in line with Anglo-American imperialism and they are pushing the talking points of Anglo-American imperialists. And that is on issues from the Turkish elections to the uh, coup against Imran Khan, um, all the way to uh, Ukraine as well. And um, this Plan C bunch, some of those um, have links to people who've been pushing the uh, the kind of pushing uh, the narrative of sell more weapons to Ukraine as well. So, I mean, th this really is, and, and this, this, this kind of coverage, we see it, like I said, not just in the Canary, but also in Navarra media and other places in the left. So we really are um, seeing the capturing of the, the UK left, the, the kind of the liberal libertarian sort of, so-called communist libertarian communist left by a establishment foreign policy narrative mm. and this plan c organization I, I suspect a lot of people have never heard of them phil i mean just unpack a little bit more will you you've sort of talked about them a little already in your response but who are they when was it set up and uh, you know who's, who were the prominent people within it well, this is the thing. Um, it's it, it's 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 kind of hard to define um, because, and I'm I'm kind of sort of going to start probably this weekend writing another piece trying to define what these kind of organisations are because I'm struggling with it myself. But it seems to me akin to um, the sort of climate activism groups, and there are links between Plan C and the climate activist groups on the left, in that they don't seem to have any formal uh, legal structure or identity. So they kind of don't really exist in any legal form. Um, so that's why in my article, I describe them as a tendency. So it's, it's a group of people who share um, positions uh, and a perspective and are aligned and work together for those for the advancement of those particular points of view um the the plan c has a website it's uh, weareplanc.org um but they seem to be a little bit like the alliance for workers liberty if you know them is that they, um, often, yeah. they often side with um the, the the west and nato on foreign policy matters while claiming to be anti-imperialist. So their stance on, for example, the situation in Ukraine aligns with that of um, NATO and people like Paul Mason, actually. 
Um, in terms of their history, um, it's it seems to me the research I've done, and again, it's a little bit sketchy because I, I'm not entirely sure what they are and where they came from, but I think they came from the student protest movement in the 2010s and people who organized around that. Um, they're essentially, I think they're anarchist in um, their point of view. Um, there's also kind of an affiliation with this kind of libertarian communism that people like Aaron Bastani are uh, associated with. Um, and he's worked with Plan C people before who've written for Novara Media. Um, someone like Michael Chesham, I believe, is linked into um, Plan C. Uh, he was in with Momentum, of course. So you've got people and actually quite a lot of people who are who are linked in with this network um, and this tendency across the British left, which is because I hadn't heard of them until last year. <laughs> no, no. Uh, myself, and I didn't know they were that prominent. And now I've looked into it. That, the, that there are people affiliated to this everywhere, and to me, it's a matter of considerable concern um, because this group, activists, like they, they, they literally went and supported the U.S.-backed occupation of uh, northern Syria and its oil reserves, which they were selling to the United States an oil company in the United States. Um, and, I mean, you have to wonder how they were able to get people out there to participate in the militia, because that's what they were doing, um, without the authorities knowing about it and being okay with it. Mm. You also, uh, Phil, uh, tonight, and indeed in, in the article, reference the integrity initiative and, and obviously Bellingcat, etc. I mean, just just uh, say a bit more about that, will you? And uh, I guess many people watching will be familiar with the Integrity Initiative, but I mean, just 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 sort of say a little bit more about it for the benefit of those who who aren't aware. Well, the Integrity Initiative is is, I guess you would describe it, or you could describe it, best described as a um, an intelligence operation being run through the this, this charity. Um, supposedly based in Scotland, and you know all about this, Chris, because you, <laughs> you yes. did your own investigation, supposedly based in Scotland, but actually in London. Um, and it, it was established by this guy named Chris Donnelly, who is a um, British military intelligence officer. Um, and one of his key things is supposedly um, countering Russian disinformation. Um, but what we know from the Integrity Initiative leaks is that what his people in his um, network do also is that they um, they plant stories themselves in uh, in the media and uh, with politicians. They provide briefings for politicians, so they are themselves involved in actively producing information, disinformation. Some would say that then informs both public debate and political debate. Um, so it's, it's very concerning. And I do know, and I haven't got around to writing about this yet, it's public domain information. But I do know there is at least one individual on the left with more than one link to people in Chris Donnelly's network. Um, mm. When it comes to my article, though, the focus was on basically kind of linking, I was using the, um, the connection between a couple of, uh, I'd say, I guess they are Plan C activists, that's how you term it, who um, 
who interviewed Bellingcat, who are part of this integrity initiative network, um, to, to just to show how close how closely aligned this organization is with the uh, British foreign policy perspective. Um, and Bellingcat is, it's, again, it's another hard thing to pin down because it's kind of journalism, but it initially described itself as open source intelligence. Um, and what it did is it, it kind of, it published a lot of analysis about say the Skirpal affair and um, yeah. Russia in Ukraine and, all, quite a lot relating to Russia, basically, but it has partnered with the Integrity Initiative, which is obviously an intelligence operation. So many people, I have to say, including myself, see them as basically an adjunct to the um, security services community. And again, mm. we've got people on the left um, who are doing podcasts with these guys. And the, mm. the people who did that podcast have written for Navarra Media and they are associated with Plan C and people who write for Navarra Media and the Canary are also associated with Plan C. And again, Plan C has sent activists out into northern Syria to participate in the US-backed occupation there. So mm. it's, uh, it's so, I mean, you're, you're, for, Yeah, indeed. I mean, for, so I guess from, from your assessment, I mean, when I was asking questions in the House of Commons and so on about the Integrity Initiative and when I went up to Scotland to... Um, locate this uh, alleged headquarters, which was a semi-derelict mill, as you may recall. Um, it, it seemed then that their, their focus, well, one of their focus anyway, was in terms of media, seemed to be focused more on the on the kind of corporate media, the mainstream media, and they, they had a list of of, of high-profile um, so-called journalists, in you know, who, who write in the corporate media in this country, and indeed, actually. I mean, you know, they had they had clusters, they probably still do, I'm sure, you know, all over Europe. Um, but from your, what you seem to be saying, uh, though, Phil, is that they are seeking to influence the left media. I guess that's maybe, do you think, because the, you know, the new media that's emerging is getting, you know, a greater traction now. I mean, it's, it's a bigger sort of profile than, 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 it, than it previously was. Do you think that's why they are seeking to influence this new media as well? Well, just, just to be clear... Um... The, the the thing with doing this kind of research is that I can't um, can't really identify intentions. So all I know is that you know you've got left wing people talking to say Bellingcat, and you yeah. have people with links to the Integrity Initiative. So what the Integrity Integrity Initiative is doing or not doing with these contacts, I'm afraid I can't say. But one thing I do know, and this is what really concerns me actually, is that the links to um, the integrity initiative that I've seen and the Corbynite left that I've seen um, go back to at least 2016. So this isn't like they're not suddenly getting involved now. These links have existed for a, for a good while now. Um, and so has Plan C. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. So I think my own point of view, looking at this and putting it all together, I think really we need to take a step back and we need to change our perspective on the, the left and much of what has happened in the past five or six years in terms mm. of everything, the way people have handled certain issues, potentially the way they've treated you, Chris. And, and we, we need to really actually um, start to work backwards and figure out 
what was going on because you, you've got intelligence links here and that is very concerning. Well, I mean, it's pretty clear, isn't it, that the establishment, you know, the intelligence establishment uh, were were having kittens about the prospect of a Corbyn premiership. And, uh, you know, we know that, well, I mean, indeed, the Integrity Initiative, I mean, you know, we know we're, we're, we're using public money. <laughs> Let's remember they would receive, um, in, in when I was asking questions in the in, in the 18 months or so prior to me, Posing those questions in Parliament, they'd received uh, well over two million pounds from the Foreign Office and the Ministry of Defence, and they were using some of that anyway to to undermine the you know the Corbyn issue. Yeah. So they clearly you know were, were concerned. It seems to me about the possibility of somebody who was uh, you know was a pro peace and anti war um, activist and a pro Palestinian campaigner who'd appointed a shadow minister for peace and disarmament and you know it's the last thing i guess the military industrial complex wanted to yeah. see a permanent member of the un security council promoting peace and disarmament when their when their business model relies on um, you know instability and war around the world doesn't it i mean i just think just on the um the point about foreign policy because again you know some people you know who take a passing interest in in, in politics and you know in the wider general public, I suppose, as well, sometimes that's a question, well, why, why should we be bothered about foreign policy? You know, surely we should be focusing on, you know, getting the NHS right and uh, making sure that, you know, we've got decent schools and housing um, people and eradicating poverty in this country. So how would you respond to that? I mean, because, I mean, this is all about, isn't it, you know, this kind of, kind of foreign policy interest. I mean, you know, why does it matter? Why does it matter to the left, you know, for us to to have a, you know, a coherent position on foreign policy? Um, that's a very big question, Chris. I do actually have an answer. You have to bear with me. <laughs> it's quite a big answer. Um, but just um, just on that point as well, I'd just like to point out that I think it was within an interview with Unheard, um, Aaron Bastani uh, said that the left might want to move away from talking about foreign policy after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, which is interesting in light of all of this stuff. And I'm, and it is also kind of in 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 light of why I think foreign policy is not just kind of important, but actually I think it underpins everything. And this is why Corbyn was seen as such a threat. And the Integrity Initiative did actually. Um, actually uh, attack him directly and publicly on Twitter. So, you know, they, they did not want him. Um, and the reason is, is because foreign policy is key to, it's key to everything, including our own um, services in this country, because the wealth of this country is essentially based, um, as it currently exists, it's, on the, it's based around the city of London and the access to markets that the city of London has. And the City of London's access to foreign markets and resources around the world is completely underpinned by its um, share of the US dollar trade. And I don't think many people know, but the, uh, the City of London actually trades more dollars than Wall Street. It, is, it really is the, um, the kind of the, the hub, the global hub of the, uh, the financial empire. And so the, a lot of the wealth that comes in is, is coming in from resources overseas. And the dollars, the dollars access to those resources is underpinned itself by the military industrial complex, so NATO. And ultimately it's because 
the Western world re revolves around a system of imperialism, whereby if people don't want to trade on the terms that, say, the United States or Britain want, then there is always the threat of military intervention. Um, so that if they do, and we saw this with Gaddafi and many others, but if they if they do push back, then so it so the logic goes, the West can always remove them from office. And it's like a protection racket. Either you have the dollar and you allow the uh, the US and the UK access to your markets and trade on their terms, which means you're going to get exploited and your people are going to get a bad deal, or you get invaded and your country descends into civil war. Um, and so the, the model of the, the economic model that we have is sustained by imperialism. But that's also very expensive. It's not really about wealth for people like you and me and ordinary people. It's it's about this international class of billionaires and sustaining their, their position, not just in terms of our own kind of economic order, but their power in the world and their, their freedom, basically. And so we are we are we are um, bankrolling them as well as ordinary people through our taxes. Um, and what we're seeing at the moment is that as the empire is starting to falter, and rather than um, doing positive, making positive arrangements with resource-rich countries and proper trade deals, like China's doing, basically, China's actually doing, showing us how this could be done. Um, the West is being really aggressive, and it's losing support and its access to markets and its wealth is retracting. And so it's turbocharging privatization at home. And so that the, the people at the top, the billionaires who fly around the world and facilitate the international trading in the empire don't have to lose their share of the wealth and their position in the world. So we're all losing out because of our terrible foreign policy. And if we, if we, could, we could get a much better foreign policy that would benefit ordinary people a lot more, but the ruling class would lose out. Um, mm. And that's basically, that's basically it, um, if that makes sense. So, so, so in terms of the, the blowback then, um, your assessment is then, Phil, that uh, it is turbocharging privatisation. Is, is that mm. what you're saying, essentially? Yeah, so, yeah that, it is. That, um, well, go on, just yeah. unpack that a bit more then, yeah. Yeah, um, well, it's because, because um, the way our leaders have done things is particularly, I mean, a good example actually is the sanctions against Russia, um, which we didn't work and we're never going to work. Um, it means that um, other countries no longer see the dollar as a secure currency to invest in because they know that they too could be sanctioned and they have their money confiscated. Um, and that means they don't want to use the dollar for transactions anymore. Um, but that also means that the dollar isn't worth as much because there's less demand for it. And at the same time, the US has been printing loads of dollars. So that's where all the inflation is coming from. And you have to bear in mind that our currencies are underpinned by the dollar. So basically, Western economies are no longer worth as much as they were. Um, so our leaders are, are cannibalizing our own assets, basically, to try and make up the difference. At least that's my assessment of it. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, they are undergoing like this process of as the empire retreats from, from territories around the world, and as we're seeing in Ukraine, um, it's a, it's what they're doing is a policy of scorched earth. 
So if if we can't have it, nobody can, which is probably why the the British government has sent depleted uranium to Ukraine. Um, And this is relevant because of China's Belt and Road Initiative, which is its way of building strong relationships with other countries, not at the point of a gun, but through trade. And, and if you look at the, uh, all of the hotspots of uh, instability provoked by the US in recent years, the Belt and Road Initiative runs through all of them. So you're looking at um, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Pakistan, which is important with regards to Imran Khan, and um, Turkey as well. And so, and of course, um, Syria. So, so all of these areas, the US is, is faced with a kind of economic war on all fronts. In that it's got the uh, the standoff in the South China Sea with the Chinese um, sea routes, and then you've got trading routes on land through the Belt and Road Initiative that the United States and Britain can't afford to uh, to to let happen um, because that means that their economic dom- dominance is is undermined um, conclusively, basically. And that we are seeing that transition. We are seeing the collapse of the dollar. We're seeing more countries uh, choosing to trade. Uh, on on their own current currencies, um, not relying on the dollar anymore, and uh, and this is a huge problem because the US is in a lot of debt, and um, it might not be able to pay it back if if <laughs> if its economy doesn't expand and its markets don't expand, and actually it looks like they're retracting. I mean that's that's another another discussion, of course. I mm-hmm. mean, and uh, you know, some some would uh, take a, a different view in relation to how the US could kind of deal with that. But we don't want to get into that tonight because no. we haven't got <laughs> enough time to uh, to discuss it. But um, just in terms of uh, how people then can sort of uh, insulate themselves from this uh, propaganda, I mean, we know that the corporate media is, is totally owned by the establishment in that sense. And this, so, you know, it's kind of NATO talking points. I mean, it's what... When I, I mean, I, actually, I got out to London once a week and they sit in the waiting room, they've got a TV on and it's, it's just constant, relentless mm. propaganda. I mean, there's a guy on there this Tuesday, you know, saying how uh, Russia's losing the war, you know, and uh, China's made a very big mistake in actually throwing their lot in with, uh, with Russia, you know, because they're going to get egg on the face now and blah, 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 you know. Oh my goodness me, I know, it's, it's a kind of, it's terrible. So, but we kind of know that. Um, but, but I mean, what you your research is saying that, um, you know, that the kind of new media, alternative media is, is not giving that kind of alternative perspective that you would probably have thought and hoped that it, that, that it would do. So what do you think? Where, where, can, where can people go for I mean, obviously there's your uh, stuff that you put out, uh, Phil, but I mean, are there platforms around that, that, that give a more balanced viewpoint? Yeah, there are. Um, if you look for them, I mean, I know it's um, slightly different issues, but Palestine Declassified, actually, I have to give a shout out to you, Chris, because that's really good. That's one of the best um, anti-imperialist kind of um, investigative programs out there. Um, There's also, I mean, one of my favorites, and it's been a favorite for a long time, is Consortium News, which is a um, kind of a, it publishes a range of materials from a range of journalists. It's all proper investigative stuff. Um, And then you have people like Alexander Mercurius, who is from the Duran. He does an excellent daily YouTube uh, video uh, on every doing an update on the situation in Ukraine every single day. And what he does is he he looks at what a whole range of people are saying to get a real sense of what's actually going on. And he's very cautious and quite academic in his his approach. 
Um, there's also Scott Ritter, who's a former UN weapons inspector. Um, yeah. He understands the, all the logistics side of it and combined arms warfare and all that kind of stuff. So he understands how it works. Um, but unfortunately, there aren't huge amounts of places to go for this kind of stuff um, mm -hmm. because so much of our media are now um, new left media are captured. So in some places, you have to kind of look to often not leftist, not leftist sources to get it. So what you need mm -hmm. to do is just look to, um, to people who are doing good research and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, basically looking into the detail and publishing yeah. the detail rather than the, sure. um, the line they've been fed. No, indeed. And I guess just finally, uh, Phil, in terms of uh, talking about capture, uh, you know, we've talked about the capture of the, uh, of the media. Um, what about the political class? They seem totally in, in, enthralled, don't they, to, to this agenda? I mean, I mean, is there any hope there? Um, are there any existing members of the political class that you think are, are you know, decent um, and have got a, you know, a, a sort of uh, you know, quizzical sort of um, outlook on, on some of this stuff, sceptical outlook on, on, on sort of Britain's foreign policy position or... Or are they gone completely? And, and if so, what, what, what hope is there in terms of uh, you know, redeeming the political class, maybe with a new political class? What's your thoughts on that? Well, well, there's like you and there's George Galloway. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of, not a lot of your viewers, or some of your viewers might not like him, all of his views, but he's, he's very solid on this stuff. Um, there aren't, there, it's, again, it's not a really positive um, outlook because... In terms of the, the the way people are, are looking at this, if you've got to bear in mind when you're looking at the left as well, I'm, I've been talking about this kind of what I regard as imperialist Plan C grouping. Well, they are heavily involved in momentum and all the kind of stuff surrounding the Labour left, um, which partially, I think, explains some of the frankly bizarre positions that they've taken over a range of foreign policy issues um, in recent times. So... It, it's basically it's starting again and finding the the good people who are good on this stuff um willing to speak truth to power and just building up from from the bottom because the the british left as it turns out is just so heavily um just kind of influenced by the mainstream by actually what are quite extreme militaristic foreign policy uh views it's um yeah, I mean, it's sorry, that's not a positive answer, but there are good people. No, there. there are good people. Yeah, let me let me just uh, hang on a sec. I want to get a book if I can find it. Um, hold on a second. Sorry, I should have thought about it. There's a really good book actually. That I'm I'm just reading now. I don't know if you've seen it, Phil. It's called Yeah, I've got it. I haven't read it yet, but I've got you've it. You've got it. Yeah, very, very good. Um, and I think you know, a lot of what you've been saying tonight, it, it, you know, is fleshed out in a lot more detail in this book. Here, I take a different view, though, to you. I think in relation to some of the economic perspectives that, that you uh, perhaps mm. articulated, but it's well worth uh, a read. I would recommend people get a copy of, of that because I know in some ways, yes, it's depressing, but we have to face reality, don't we? Uh, you yeah. know, the, the left, you know, certainly the Labour left is is uh, you know is is gone, and uh, we've got to move beyond that now, and and. And start again, and uh, you know, a lot of things can move quite quickly. I mean, it might look bleak at the moment, but you know, things can move quickly, and 
you know, it only takes some sort of, you know, catalyst to, we don't know what it is yet, something, you know, may come along, who knows what it will be. But, but you know, but things can, can turn around quite quickly because there's a lot of dissatisfaction in the country, isn't there, with the way things are going. I mean, and I think, I'm not sure if it was you with you, Phil, on an earlier show when you came on where there was a poll when the Independent a few weeks back now that suggested that two out of three people in the country are, would like to see a new party emerge to challenge both the Tories and the Labour Party. You know? So, so in that sense, you know, there's a rich vein to tap into. It's just how do we do that? And of course, there's all sorts of efforts put into ensuring that we don't succeed in that. You know, <laughs> the state do not want that to happen, do they? And of course, yeah. you know, I mean, I think they freaked out obviously when we talked about Jeremy because Jeremy looked like he was building that that sort of uh, new social uh, movement that, that could have indeed, you know, upset the apple cart, really challenged the, the status quo, uh, you know, move beyond the parameters of Westminster to build, you know, a, a grassroots so, uh, a social movement, which would be incredibly, would have been incredibly powerful and can still be incredibly powerful. And of course, people were inspired by that. And I guess people can be and hopefully will be inspired again in the not too distant future. Phil, thanks very much indeed for coming on this evening. Just tell us, uh, our viewers, where they can follow your work. You've got a Patreon account, things like that now, haven't you? So just yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, I'm always tweeting about it on my Twitter profile, which is underneath my name on the screen. Um, so that's probably the best way to find me. Uh, I'm not so good at Facebook because I don't like the interface very much. Um, right. So yeah, just just um, go there and I try and put stuff out fairly regular, regularly, but you know, it's as, as and when I can manage. Um, yes, sorry, just in terms of other other organizations and other groups, there's also No to NATO, which I've forgotten to mention, which uh, I believe you're, are you yes, speaking about tomorrow? We are, I mean, I was just about to give a plugger for that, so it's a nice <laughs> sort of segue in, into that actually. Uh, yes, we do indeed have a, a, a meeting, a No to NATO meeting, it's a transatlantic meeting actually tomorrow evening we've got speakers from the uh, the u.s and uh, you know some of the direct action that um our u.s uh, uh, comrades have been uh, engaged in uh, is really quite inspiring and some of the people uh, just flashed up on the screen some of the speakers are um some of them who have been involved in this sort of direct action uh, over there to try and raise the profile of uh, uh, the the uh, anti-war uh, message uh, it's the, the kind of rage against the war machine is, is the movement over there and they have a, a, a number of demands actually it's not just about you know exiting nato our no to nato is very specific it's, it's, it's you know it's a one-dimensional uh, campaign and we're saying we want all comers to come to us if you're against war and you're against nato you fear what nato is all about and that it's imperiling the you know the future of the uh, of world peace and certainly imperiling the, the future in my opinion anyway of, of, of people in this country to say you know peace in this country um then you know support support the campaign but so we've got this transatlantic uh, meeting tomorrow evening at seven o'clock so please uh, tune in if you are around because it, you know it should be an interesting and stimulating meeting and be really i think interesting i think for people to see some of the activities and tactics that uh Colleagues in uh, in the United States have been engaged in, and you know they've been making a uh, significant headway. It seems to me in in actually bringing people together, and uh, you know against the odds, really. I mean, and what they've done there as well is interesting. And people hear this tomorrow night. They've kind of united, kind of left and right, really. You know, where you've got people who you, you know you wouldn't agree, you disagree perhaps on everything else, but you know if they've got a perspective on uh, of in an opposition to war, well, look, you know we can we can agree. Let's agree to agree where we agree, and have you know have disagreements after terms of disagreements where we where we don't, and uh, you know if we do that, that that is an incredibly 
you know, powerful uh, uh, message, uh, you know, to to unite people. If we can unite people in that way, I think uh, would be unstoppable then. So, so tune in tomorrow night, then, as I say, at uh, seven o'clock. Thanks again, Phil, for coming on the show again this evening. You're a regular on the show now. We always welcome you. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks very much for your research. It's it's really incisive and uh, and well worth uh, well worth reading. So if you don't already follow Phil on Patreon and on the, on social media, then you know please do so. Meanwhile, we'll be back next week at the same time. We hope on Resistance TV at seven o'clock. So until then, this is Chris Williams to say goodbye for now. <laughs>